Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Ellie Honig, no stranger to this audience. He's been a frequent guest. He is the former SDNY prosecutor, former director of the New Jersey Division of Criminal Justice, current CNN legal analyst, and now the author of Hatchet Man, his brand new book, The Subject Matter, is Bill Barr. Quote, he has been the right man at the right time for that difficult job with the principles and the toughness to make difficult decisions despite bitter Democrats in Congress and a willful President Trump. Oh, wait. That is not a quote from Ellie's book. That is a quote from the Wall Street Journal when they thanked Bill Barr for his exemplary service as the attorney general. Ellie, what did they get wrong? Uh, I guess I'll say everything. Let me start with that. I actually thought, Michael, were you were, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I were you were you it. nervous, by the way? I, I was I was so excited about that setup. Were you nervous so and thinking, you, you holy tri- crap, that's not my book? No, you tricked me because I'll tell you what I thought you were quoting and what I thought that was. I have a section in the book where I talk about how various commentators, people who had been critical of the Trump administration, myself included, were were 
positive about uh, William sure. Barr when his name was announced. When, he, when it was named, right. Right. And I even, I quote myself because you know how things happen in this world of media. I happened to be on set that day at CNN with Brooke Baldwin and they got in my little earpiece and said, we have the name of the person that's about to be announced as Trump's nominee. It's Bill Barr. Now it rang a bell for me because he is little trivia question. One of two people ever to be attorney general of the United States twice. He was in the early nineties under George HW Bush. So it rang a bell and I had a general, and I did some quick research. Now, important footnote. This is before we saw and knew of the memo he had pre-written saying he was going to gut the Mueller investigation. But I asked the CNN producer, I said, can you pull that clip of me on whatever date? And she found it. And I quote myself in the book. I said something along the lines of Bill Barr is a serious person. He has done the job before. He's experienced. He seems to be respected. And I think he's a strong pick. Um, Now, I thought that's what you were about to read. The fact that Wall Street Journal wrote that at the end, I am, I, yeah, I quarrel with all of that. Well, but, what's, but, inter- yeah. what's interesting, I was going to say, is that the date is December 14, 2020. So like, this is the yeah. sign-off editorial. I'm sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, I, I was going to say, I put that in the book because I think it's important that people know I didn't have it out for this guy. I, I was willing to give him the, I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and then he spent two years trashing it. And yeah, it, it's interesting to see some of these efforts out there, Michael, by Bill Barr himself and by maybe others, Wall Street Journal, to, to rehabilitate the image. But but I'm not I'm not having that. Well, Ellie, I want to I want to reference this date because I yeah. always said here on air, who leaves in mid-December when the gig is only going to go until January 20th anyway? I always found it suspicious that he wanted out before the Trump administration was formally ended and at the time speculated Did he know some things that were about to unfold? And by the way, Ellie, that would be to his credit. I mean, if if he knew that the big lie, quote unquote, was about to unfold, wouldn't you give him credit for not wanting to be a part of it? Well, yes and no. First of all, you know, I don't believe Bill Barr had specific notice that maniacs were going to storm the Capitol or anything like that. However, I think any sane, rational person, and again, think back to the madness that was enveloping Trump's world in mid-December of 2020. He's lost the election. It's clear to anyone who's who's got half a brain. And it, it didn't take you know, a, a soothsayer to tell that things were going to get nuts. Now, I, I could see that both ways, Michael. I could see the approach of things are about to get nuts. I don't need to be here for it. I could also see the approach of things are about to get nuts. I'm the attorney general. I have an important job to do. I will have unique power to address, maybe mitigate that a bit. So I'm going to stay here. But the end of the Trump bar relationship, and I break it down in the book, is really fascinating because there's a couple of sort of plot twists that we didn't see coming, right? And and the biggest one is that Bill Barr went uh, from months of fanning the flames of the big lie of election fraud, and we can talk about that, but he did it for six months and was one of the main people saying there's this huge risk to suddenly December 1st, a couple of weeks before that that letter and that article you just read, Bill Barr publicly came out, went to the Associated Press on his own and said, we've not found evidence of election fraud. So um, there's, it, it was an interesting twist ending in Bill Barr now in doing his image laundering tour is trying to remind us of the back half of that, but not the months that preceded it. The book is a combination of assessment by you as a former prosecutor of Barr's tenure also chock full of your own trial stories. I don't need to tell you which of the two categories 
I enjoyed more. By, by the way, <laughs> where are you got to tell this? Where are the laces? Where are the laces? What's that a reference to? <laughs> so I oh, I do, as you say, Michael, in the book, I tell a lot of uh, real life prosecute prosecutor stories, trial stories. If you ever wanted to know what's life really like behind the, those mysterious doors at the Southern District of New York or what's it like to try mobsters? I have some colorful stories. I put them in there largely um, for two reasons. One, it's entertaining. People are interested in this stuff and, and I like telling these stories, but two, I use them to draw out principles that I think Bill Barr violated. The Laces story, um, I open the book on the moments, the very anxious moments before my first ever trial at the Southern District of New York. And by the way, I'm 29 years old, right? I've got my my supervisor is this, is this legendary, respected trial you know, what we used to call a trial animal at the Southern District of New York. He's now a federal appellate judge on the Second Circuit. I say his name, Rich Sullivan. He's he, he's okay with me saying his name. And I'm all, I'm nervous and I'm dressed up and I've got everything ready. And I walk in the trial room and Rich shoots a glance at me. He goes, what the hell are you wearing? And I said, what? what? I mean, wearing what? Everyone, I, I you know, the uniform, the navy blue suit, the white shirt. Sure, of course. And, yeah. and, and he goes, what's with those shoes? No laces? Are you kidding me? Not in front of a jury. I had like dress shoes, but you know, the slip on. So it's just one of those, you know, unwritten rules, a less important. There's a lot more, more important unwritten rules, but I I thought that was a good way to open it. Listen, I once uh, tried a case in central Pennsylvania. It was, uh, I I was obviously the plaintiff's lawyer and it was a personal injury action. And there was no more difficult territory than central PA as Carville represented, you know, the Alabama between Pennsylvania (laughs) and, uh, and Pittsburgh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh to try a case. And when I opened my suitcase the night before trial, I realized I had packed French cuff shirts. (laughs) So Ellie, I drove to no joke, drove to Walmart. I remember there was a sign out front that said, we'll beat any price on any item. I'm thinking, how do you compete with that if you're a merchant anyway? And I went in and I and I bought some white Oxford cloths that I should have had with me uh, the whole way along. Listen, the trial stories are important, though, in this respect. They're not just fun and entertaining. But your premise is that he has a deficiency. He had a deficiency as attorney general, and it's because, unlike you, he never tried cases. Explain. Yes. Yeah, so this is what I call the prosecutor's code in the title of the book. Every field, every industry, every profession has its written rules and its unwritten rules, whether it, we're talking media, radio, baseball, right? You know, baseball, there's a million of these things, and prosecutors are no different, Um the written rules are very important, the statutes, the, the, the sentencing guidelines, the rules of evidence and all that, and you know that. But the unwritten rules are, are the ones you can only learn by doing the job. And one of my main criticisms of Bill Barr is, although he's been attorney general twice, he's never tried a case. He's never had that experience, Michael, you or, you or I have had, standing in front of a jury, having a judge bearing down on you, having the opposing lawyer pick apart everything what you said, going to a sentencing and seeing the gravity of it, seeing the defendant's family crying behind you, being threatened, just understanding what the job is all about. And my argument is, and I, I, I sort of tease out various um, nuances of the prosecutor's code, is because Bill Barr didn't do the job himself, he never properly understood and respected the basics, the fundamentals, the two most important of which are your credibility. You, you never forget about a lot. You would never lie, but you never fudge the truth. You never shade. You, people think lawyers do this. 
prosecutors are not allowed. I mean, you argue your point, but you're not allowed to withhold damaging information. You're not allowed to fudge. And if you do, you're going to get caught and you're going to get in trouble. So credibility. And the second is independence. Politics have, I was always raised and you were always taught, have zero role in any prosecutorial decision that we make here. Bill Barr didn't know, didn't care. And I think a large part is because I call him a prosecutorial charlatan. He never did the job. Okay, but if he was morally challenged as the attorney general and and he was deficient because of what you've just described, why would that have not have hindered him on H.W. Bush's watch? As you point out, he's one of only two to hold the job for two two go rounds. And there was not controversy that surrounded him or not, at least that I'm aware of. And I think you acknowledge this in the book uh, during his first tenure. Yeah, I say he had a fairly routine tenure as attorney general. Right. I mean, no no attorney general is going to emerge from the job completely conflict-free. And he had the Iran-Contra, um, you know, he was involved in, in, in advocating for pardons there. But that doesn't put him outside the box of any other attorney general. It's a great question. What changed between 93, when he, early 93, when he left office and early 19, when he took office again? And I, I sort of have two answers to that. One is, I think the world around Bill Barr changed. I think our politics changed. Um, I think the polarization and, and much of this is due to Donald Trump, but we were heading down this path anyway. Um, Donald Trump accelerated it, but I think the world became much more polarized. Second, you know, Bill Barr, and I blame I blame to some extent his own personal qualities, his own approach to the case. He became more ruthless in his pursuit of power, in his pursuit of the attorney general's job. And whatever line, you know, everyone's got a line that they won't cross. And his line, for whatever reason, moved, why I offer a couple reasons, moved to the far extreme of where it was in the early 90s. And I, you know, we, we uncover, I think, some interesting reasons behind that, behind why he was willing to go farther than he ever was before. Um, which I get into in the book and happy well, to discuss well, if you want. There's another, there's another why question that, that you ask at the there, outset yeah. of uh, the it. culture warrior chapter. Here's a common question about William Barr. Why? Why would he have sought and agreed to serve as Donald Trump's attorney general in the first place? And what did he stand to gain? And, and of course, you recount in the book how he wrote that. You call it an audition memo for the gig. Why did he yeah. want the gig? So three reasons that, that I posit in the book. First of all, and this one I don't hold against him at all, the man wanted power, right? Being, being a prosecutor, even a regular old prosecutor like I was, you have dizzying amounts of power um, and it can be intoxicating and there's nothing wrong with seeking more power. I tried to get promoted. I did at times um, and, you know, would, would have gladly moved up the ranks. I did until I left. Um, you know, I, what I don't buy from Bill Barr is his whole persona of, oh, I don't need this job. And I'm sort of this humble guy who didn't want the gig. BS, because he wrote that memo. He wrote that memo in late 2018, mid 2018, when it was very clear that the AG's job was about to become open because Trump was definitely going to get rid of Jeff Sessions. He wrote that memo. He couldn't have pinned it more precisely to Donald Trump's psyche. The memo said Robert Mueller's theory of obstruction of justice is fatally misconceived, meaning I'm going to kill it. And he did. That's number one. Number two, Bill Barr has an, I won't quite call it, ex- it's, it's extreme view of the law, which the legal term for it is the unitary executive, which basically means the entire, first of all, the executive branch should be more powerful than the other two branches. And the president is the executive branch. Everyone works for and does the president's bidding. Bill Barr 
um, has that extreme view and then some. And he ended up arguing in the courts, not just that the president should be the most powerful, but that the president should be untouchable, unsubpoenaable, uninvestigatable. And he lost, by the way, he has a terrible record in the courts. He lost virtually all of these. But the third one, the one that really um, surprised me when I found it is Bill Barr is what I call a culture warrior. And we, we dug up some old speeches he had given in the 90s and some things he had written. And let me, let me just read you some of these. In one speech, Barr touted, and I quote, God's law. He decries bigotry against Catholics. And here's what he writes. We are being pushed steadily off the battlefield or have been for the last few decades. Occasionally, we jab back and poke back as we backpedal. What is our larger strategy for preserving the church and seeing it prevail? How will we get back on the battlefield? So Barr views, and he says all sorts of other extreme things. He says the, and I quote, this is Bill Barr, the homosexual movement is causing the downfall of society. Um, Everything from violence to mental illness to the drug epidemic. And then he says, Barr, this is really telling. He says this, free government is only sustainable and suitable for religious people. And Judeo-Christian moral standards, not any religion, Judeo-Christian moral standards are the ultimate utilitarian rules for human conduct. So Bill Barr has this extreme view of, look, if you, if you want to be religious or are religious, by all means. But Bill Barr saw it as his mission to bring this religiosity, God's law, as he, as he calls it, back into the public sphere where he felt religiosity was being sort of overtaken by secularism. Ellie, the book is great. I really appreciate it. I'm also happy for your, your personal success with it because you've been a good friend to the program. We love when you come on and offer your legal analysis, and I, I wish you continued good things. Um, I got a real kick out of something. I'm not giving it all away. I loved hearing the backstory of you trying John Gotti Jr. They'll have to read Hatchet Man to learn all about it. Good luck with the book, and thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Ellie Honig's book is called Hatchet Man. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program. Weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.